0: Yeah, one of the most quotable movies in history, and that's the most remembered line of the movie, life is a box of chocolates. A box of chocolates. Think about that for a moment. Why is it that we sync up with that particular comment? Of all the other things that are said in that movie, why is it that when you think of Forrest Gump, the first quote you think of is, life is like a box of chocolates? I'll tell you why it resonates with us, is because it's something that all of us face, and that's the future. And we face, let's, let's recast that. We face an uncertain future. It doesn't matter how well you've prepared for it, although I guess in some ways it might, but as far as it being uncertain, you can prepare for it, you can have a high IQ, you can can be a person with a lot of qualities as an individual, but at the same time, we all have to accept the fact that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Actually, we don't even know what's going to happen the rest of the day, and I think that's why we hear life is like a box of chocolates, whether externally or internally. We all sort of nod at that and say, yeah, it's true, life is a box of chocolates, you don't know what you're going to get. Now, how do you feel about that? I mean, seriously, how do you feel about not knowing what lies ahead in your future? Because I'm guessing how we feel about how we how we face how we feel about the uncertain future that we face. It has much more to do with our lives than we can possibly imagine. It's been said over and over to us again from just about every quarter and in every area of life that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Think about that for a moment, because I don't think we really believe that. I think we really believe that life is 90% what happens to us and 10% how we react to it, and yet we've been told by secular and sacred and psychological sources that it's true, that life is 10% what happens and 90% how you react to it. So when you and I ask the question, what do we think about an uncertain future, I think it's a good, good thing for us to stop for a moment and just say just exactly what is our attitude. Let me give you a couple of handles. Let me give you a couple of scenarios that have helped me think about facing the future. Because I am a person, as you know, if you've listened to me through the years, I deal with anxieties. And I begin to ask myself the question, what is my attitude toward an uncertain future? And here's what I think about. I mean, imagine if you will for just a moment that here is a woman who has been stalked by a predator who has harmed her. But for the last five years, this predator has been in prison and she's felt secure knowing that he's, he's locked away. But the day comes when he's let out of prison, the very first day when he's out of prison. And her cell phone rings and she looks at the indicator and it says unknown caller. And she's afraid to answer the phone because she's thinking to herself, it's probably him. Get that picture in your mind. Now I want you to get another picture in your mind. It's Christmas Eve and you're looking at a child, little boy, little girl. And they're looking at the gifts under the tree that they're gonna open in 12 hours. And one last time before this little one toddles off to bed, he or she stops by the gift with the greatest anticipation It's all wrapped up, not sure what's in the box, but stops one more time to hold that box and to anticipate what's there and what it's going to feel like to unwrap that gift. Now, here's the thing. You and I, as we anticipate the future, we're somewhere along that spectrum. We're either like the child who looks at a wrapped package and says, I cannot wait to open this. Are we the woman who fears that a stalker is out to get her and she's afraid to answer the phone because of who might be on the other end of the line? Which one are you? When you look at your future, are you afraid to answer the phone or is it that you can't wait to open the gift? See, I think we need to stop today and realize that that's going to have so much difference in life. We, we tend to think that if, if good things happen in life, we will have a good attitude. If bad things happen in life, we'll have a bad attitude about it. Or if we anticipate bad things happening, we'll have a bad attitude. And yet, and in our, in our series is called Run, Forest, Run, because it's all about being happy in, a, in an unhappy world. And I don't need to tell you that there never has been as much emotional difficulty, turmoil, and emotional disorders as we have in our world today. We need to know how to be happy. And the book of Philippians is a tremendous guidebook for us. It's only four chapters long, but it's a great guidebook in scripture to help us know how to think. And today, I want us to go to just one line from the book of Philippians. I'm not going to read a lot of scriptures. I just want to read one line that's so big that it just needs to stand by itself. And that's chapter three of Philippians in the first verse. And here's what it says Whatever happens, now that's the box of chocolates, whatever happens, my brothers and sisters, Rejoice in the Lord. That's an interesting verse because, see, I go back to the fact that most of us tend to think that if our circumstances are good, you know, because circumstances are variable, our mood is variable based on circumstances. So if everything that's happening is good, then I have a good attitude. If it's bad, then I'll have a bad attitude. And yet the Bible is saying, no, circumstances are variable, but our attitude toward the future should be constant. And that's happiness, that's a positive attitude. Now, i got to be honest with you. Guys, I, I am a little bit of a cynic. And so when people talk to me about having a positive attitude, I kind of like shrink back because I think I'm going to hear cycle babble. And I don't, I, I'm telling you, I am the last person to just, for somebody to say, put on a happy face and blow sunshine at me. I am the last person to experience that. I promise you. Because I'm a realist and I'm a bottom line person. But I want to tell you, even being a realist and a little bit of a cynic, I just want to tell you that it's extraordinarily important that in life you and I have a positive attitude. But a real positive attitude isn't like, well, I'm just going to believe the best about what's going to happen. A real positive attitude is based on something. A real positive attitude is based on two facts. God loves me, and he's in control. That's the only way you can have a real true positive attitude is to know that God loves you, And that God is in control. If you're an atheist here today and you have a positive attitude, I think you're in denial. I think you really believe in God. That's just my opinion. And I'll apologize to you after the service. If you're a Christian and you have a bad attitude, there's a part of you that's a practical atheist. Because I am convinced that a true positive attitude, the only reason why you or I could have a positive attitude is, is that we believe that God loves us and that ultimately he's, going to, he's in control. Because a lot of the things in that whatever happens, a lot of things in that box of chocolates is not going to be good. They're not going to be good. And, and the only way that we can keep having a positive attitude is to know that indeed God does love us and he has an awesome plan for our life. Today I want to talk about, I want to talk about your attitude toward the future and keeping a positive attitude. I've always thought that attitudes were like filters, but I'm reading a book about happiness, and the author of the book has given me a new handle that I love, and and for me, it works. I don't know if it works for you, but for me, it has just really helped me understand dealing with my own personal attitude about the future. And Here's what he wrote in the book. He said that your attitude is like an invisible companion with you all the time, coaching you on how to interpret circumstances. Isn't that true? Your attitude is like an invisible companion always with you, coaching you on how to interpret circumstances. The circumstances are the same. It's your attitude is a variable. I mean, how many of us have an attitude of fear? And and so, you know, when something happens to us, that little voice starts talking to us and says, you know, that stomach aches, probably cancer. What did she mean by that? That looks dangerous. I wouldn't try that. You know, I mean, or your attitude can say, Hey, you know, this is something that could be a a game changing event in your life and or or think the best about people. Your attitude is an invisible companion with you all the time, coaching you on how to interpret circumstances. And here's what I want to say to all of us here today. You are not your attitude, you choose your attitude. Some of us need to fire our attitudes. (laughs) Kansas is an at-will state. And some of us need to bring our attitudes in and say, look, I don't have any pre-existing agreement with you. You don't have union protection. All you've done is bring me down and cause me difficulty and cause me grief. You are fired. You're out of here. Some of us need to fire our bad attitudes today because we need a new companion giving us new advice on how to interpret circumstances. Now, even if you're not sure that you need to fire your attitude, you at least need to bring your attitude in for a review. Set it across the table from you. You need to check your attitude out, and make it make your attitude defend itself. And in the, in, a, in a way of helping you, I want to I want to introduce you to two characters in the Bible because. We're going to see a guy with a great attitude and we're going to see a guy with a rotten attitude and the Bible devotes a lot of space to them. And and I'm not a smart guy and I'm not a great Christian leader, but I've always believed that when the Bible devotes a lot of space to a character, it's God's way of saying, watch this. Look at this person's story. There's a lot of lessons to learn here. First guy I want to tell you about, his name is Joseph. I challenge you, look through the Bible, see if you can find anybody who had more unfortunate circumstances happen to him than Joseph. Joseph had about as many bad things happen to him as you can possibly have. And yet, I want to challenge you outside of Jesus Christ, find me somebody in the Bible who has a better attitude. Think about that. See, we think that bad things cause bad attitudes. In fact, a lot of people have bad attitudes. Well, it's just their environment, it's the circumstances that they have. That's a cop-out. We did a Buffalo Springfield song, so I thought I'd use an expression from the 60s. So you baby boomers will feel comfortable. On the other hand, we think if, if we've got good circumstances, then we'll have a good attitude. I want to I introduce you to the second guy. His name is Saul. I challenge you to find anybody who had more things handed to him on a platter in life than King Saul. 22 chapters, the Bible tells this guy's story. And yet I challenge you to find anybody with a worse attitude in Scripture than Saul. Think about that. A guy who had horrible things happen to him, had a great attitude. A guy who had great things happen to him, had a rotten attitude. You know, I had had a privilege of meeting New Springers, and love you guys because your stories are awesome, and and I, I wish sometimes we could just all be in meetings where we could learn each other's stories. And I was just walking over to talk to the worship team, and walking back, I had a chance to talk to a New Spring friend here today, 87 years old. And, and I don't think he would mind me saying he's, he's on oxygen here today. 23 months in a POW camp. He has seven major diseases. Cancer, congestive heart failure, COPD, diabetes, just for starters. He told me this morning, he said at the VA, they call me a walking medical encyclopedia. He, tell them, he tells them I'm a walking testimony for Jesus. Some of you here today, you don't have any major diseases. You haven't been a prisoner of war at all. You drive a nice car, have a nice job, you wear nice clothes, and yet you're as unhappy as you can be today. You know what brought me over to my friend today? He had a smile on his face that just magnetized me, brought me over to him. Oh, let's just get rid of this thing today that thinks that we have a good attitude because we have good circumstances. Or we have a right to a bad attitude because somebody's done something to us that we didn't like. Well, let's just talk about this for a few moments because I want to share with you three things. Because here's the thing. Forgive me for breaking a sentence, but if you and I have a bad attitude, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. It will, it will affect three major parts of our lives that will eventually tell our story. If we have a good attitude, it's going to affect three major areas of our lives, and those three things will tell our story. And here are those things. How you live your life, how you treat people, and how you respond to authority. Those three things will determine your story. What I want to do, and I'm going to, ask for your, I'm going to ask for your indulgence today, I want to race through the stories of these two guys. And I want to show you how their attitudes impacted those three key areas. Now, if you want to read about Joseph, his story is in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. And if you want to read about Saul, his story comprises most of the book of 1 Samuel. Now. Here's the thing, if you want to look at Joseph very clearly, we're going to see over and over again he has a positive attitude. He is convinced that God loves him and that God rules no matter what happens. God loves me and God is in charge. Saul, on the other hand, with all his good things happened, he, he is convinced that he has to control everything that happens in his life. He has to control everybody because if he doesn't, he could lose it all. Now let's talk for just a few moments about how that attitude affected how they live their lives Let's think about Joseph for just a moment. Both these guys had, had an event early on in their lives that had a huge impact on them. In Joseph's case, he was sold by his brothers. I'm sure that some of you have had sibling rivalry before, but I doubt you've been sold by your brothers or sisters. You may have some you'd like to sell, but I, I'm, I'm guessing you haven't been sold. He had 10 older brothers who hated his guts. They were jealous of him, and they said we ought to kill him, and they were actually planning to kill him. They threw him in a pit. And they were trying to think about how they were going to kill him. And some slave traders came by and they said, hey, you know what? We shouldn't kill him. We should let them kill him. And the last they saw of their brother Joseph, his aunt hands were in robes. They had collected some pieces of silver. And Joseph is being taken off to Egypt to a place where he doesn't know anyone, doesn't know anything about the culture I mean, he he is totally out of control. I'm telling you, if anybody had a right to a bad attitude, it's Joseph, sold by your brothers, have to leave your family, leave your leave your parents, go away to a foreign place. Now Joseph could have said, I'm just gonna, if this is how life is gonna treat me, I'm basically just gonna walk through life with my middle finger exposed to everybody. But he didn't. You know what Joseph said? This is great. For any of us who've had a setback or difficulty in life, Joseph said to himself, Okay, my brother sold me, but God lives in Egypt too. God works in Egypt too. He doesn't just work in my hometown, He works in Egypt too. And He's sovereign there, and God's love is, is, is portable. It's gonna go with me to Egypt. And he said to himself, You know what? I don't have to control my life because God has control of my life. All I have, you ready for this? All I have to do is bring my A-game. See, Joseph has a positive attitude. He can afford to have a positive attitude. God loves him. God's got control of his life. I don't have to control it. I just bring my A-game. So he finds himself working in the house of a guy named Potiphar who was like over all the military. He's probably like the third highest official in the most powerful country in the world. Very rich. Probably had hundreds of servants. And Joseph is on the bottom. And, his, and the worst jobs fall to Joseph. He's got to shovel the stuff in the barns and everything. They don't know his name, but here's one thing about Joseph. You know, he just brings his A game. If he's cleaning out the barn, he brings his A game. If he's doing the job that nobody else wants, he brings his A game. Everybody here in management knows what I know about this and what happened with Joseph. Good attitude like cream rises to the top, doesn't it? You can hire somebody for the lowest job in your company, but you cannot avoid a good attitude. It will shine. it will sparkle And you just think, man, I hired this guy, I had this gal for minimum wage and yet she brings her a game more than people who are VPs at our country company. And so it wasn't long before it was like, well, hey, get that kid. They didn't know his name. Get that kid over here to do this job. And then it, they got to know his name. It's like, well, we'll make, get Joseph over here. Joseph can handle this. And then after a while, it was like, well, well, we need to just turn this over to Joseph. And then after a while after that, it became put Joseph in charge. And then it was whatever Joseph says. It was that evolution that Joseph always brought his A game. He had, the, he had a good attitude. He went from the lowest job in the house. He went to the place where he ran the estate. I mean, Joseph was determining who could swim in the pool. He was determining how much money they were going to spend on food in a month. He was writing all the checks. He was paying all the vendors. He was, he was, he was over HR. In, I mean, Joseph was running the place. Let's thing about Saul. Because like Joseph, he had an event early on in his life that was life-shaping. Unlike Joseph, being sold by his brothers, Saul had a good thing happen. He was just given the job of king. Boom. He didn't come from a royal family. He didn't come from a rich family. Do you know what Saul was doing (laughs) When, when, when God made him king? He was chasing his donkeys. That's a fact. That is what he was doing. He was chasing his donkeys, and I'll just leave it right there. And God just decides to make him king. I mean, how do you do that? How do you go from chasing donkeys to being king? But, but God did that. And not only that, God did some very special things for Saul. I've loved this verse since I was a little boy. In 1 Samuel 10, verse 9, it says, God gave him another heart. What that just simply means is God gave him the talent to do the job of being king. Wouldn't that be great if you just woke up one day and suddenly you could perform brain surgery? You don't know how, but you can go to med school or anything, but you can do brain surgery. You just woke up one day and you could fly 747. You woke up one day and you just knew how to try try a case and you could pass the bar. I mean, life doesn't work that way. We would like for it to. I had a great friend many, many years ago at New Spring. And his name was Ed. and, And Ed worked for Boeing for many years. In fact, Ed was like that first group that brought computers into Boeing. So he was like one of their first computer specialists. But what Ed loved was Ed loved music. His parents had been music professors at, at University of Texas. And, and Ed was a trumpet player. And, and so on the weekends he would play with bands all over the country. And he's pay, played with some of the biggest bands. He was just a great guy. And so he's from Texas and he played the trumpet. Those were two things we had in common. And we were just dear friends. And Ed, up in years. Had heart surgery one time, and, and really it was, it was a problem that was eventually going to claim his life. But he had surgery, and he woke up in the recovery room, and the doctor came in and was just trying to tell him that he had made it through the surgery and, and that, you know, he had survived and things had gone pretty well. And so Ed, with his typical sense of humor, said, Oh, doctor, uh, will, I stu- will I will I be able to play the piano? And the doctor said, Well, I, I can't see that you would have it. Yeah, he said, You could play the piano. Ed said, Great, I never could play before. <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden, Saul is just, he's given another mind. He can be king. God just clicks and drags the ability to be king. And then the Bible says he stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He had looks. And then, you know, Samuel says to people, this is the man God has chosen. Is there anybody else like him? And, and, and the people say, long live the king. That's popularity. How would you like it early on in life if you got the talent to do anything you need to do, the looks that caused everybody to stop and look at you? And Popularity. My gosh, that's the American dream. He could have said, God must really love me, but he didn't. Now, check this out, many of us. He never saw God as being behind his success. I think he said to himself, I'm so lucky to be where I am. I have to protect myself or I could lose all this. You know what insecurity is? We just finished a series called Grace not too long ago. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Insecurity is fearing losing what grace gave you in the first place. Do you know why Joseph wouldn't have been insecure if he lost something, which he's going to do time and time again? I mean, Saul is so desperately afraid he's going to lose something, he's got to clutch and hold on to it. Joseph would have said, hey, God gave it to me in the first place. Somebody takes it away. God's got more stuff and better. Well, cracks started to show early and often in Saul's life. As Shakespeare said, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. And Saul had a problem that he, he has over and over again. He, he just He's so fearful of maintaining control that when God gives Saul instructions, Saul only obeys the part that he wants to obey. And he's very concerned about PR. So he's in a situation now where he is about to go into battle against their chief nemesis, the Philistines. And they need to have a worship service because these are God's people and God has given them strict instructions. You don't go into battle without having a time of worship. And the only person who can perform the worship service is Samuel, who is the prophet, God's representative. Samuel is not there. The army is getting antsy. Saul is concerned about PR. And so here's what he does. He does something that is an abomination to God. He says, well, we got to have a worship service here. I'll lead it. He's king. God made him king. God did not make him prophet. Basically, he decided that, hey, it's not really important anyway. It's just sort of a PR thing. I will do it. Now, immediately, Samuel appears, and Samuel confronts Saul with the awful thing that that he did. And Saul is going to say, well, hey, wait a minute. Look at this. I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would, so I said the Philistines are ready to march against us. I felt compelled to offer burnt offering myself before you came. Saul is saying, don't you understand, Samuel? I had good reason. And Samuel just says, how foolish. Cut the excuses. Have you ever noticed, and we'll see it today, People with bad attitudes always have excuses for the havoc they create. It's never their fault. Samuel, Saul, it, it wasn't my fault he said the, I, 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 the, the situation was falling apart and you didn't show up when you were supposed to I felt compelled and Samuel just said hey listen Saul we're dealing with a real world here you have torqued God and so what you did was foolish and if you had done what the Lord asked you to do he would have established your kingdom forever but now he's going to take it away from you see Attitude about the future has so much to do with how we live our lives because if you believe God loves you and has control of your life, like Joseph, all you have to do is bring your A game. You don't have to clutch and control. But if you don't think that God is in control of your life and you don't think that God loves you, then you got to be in control of your life. By the way, have you ever wondered why people are controlling? That's why. The second thing that attitude does, it affects how you treat people. The way Joseph looked at it was this, if God loves me and he's in control of my life, then I can expect, and by the way, everybody with a good attitude here, just put your antenna up because you're going you're to know this is true. Joseph is saying, if God loves me and he's, gonna, he's got control of my life, I can expect God to bring people into my life to help me. Here's the deal, no matter what your vision is, you can't do it by yourself. God has made you that way. You're going to have to have the help of other people, and other people are going to have to have your help. So By the way, have you ever noticed that people with bad attitudes tend to be one-man shows? This is why. People with good attitudes know they're going to have to have strong people around them that help them achieve great things. And so Joseph is saying, well, I don't know who those people are, but God loves me, so he's going to bring them. And, and if it turns out not to be my brothers, well, it's going to be somebody else. If my brothers sell me, then I ain't expected to be somebody else. And so he assumes that's Potiphar because, after all, he, went, he came in as the lowest servant in the house, and now he's running the place. But things don't happen the way Joseph would have hoped they would have happened because the, it turns out that Potiphar was married to arm candy. And she gets things for Joseph and tries to get him in bed with her. That's just what the rich and famous did back then in Egypt and in America today. And so um, <laughs> she just keeps trying to seduce him and Joseph saying, no, 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 no. And he just keeps on. And one day she just reached out and grabbed his jacket. And Joseph doesn't know what to do. He runs out of it, and she's left holding the jacket. And you know what the saying is about a woman scorned? And her husband comes home, and she's got the jacket now, and she's got show and tell going. And she says to her husband, that servant you brought in the house tried to rape me. And so Potiphar not only fires Joseph, he has Joseph arrested. But Joseph said, well... God's going to bring people to help me. If it didn't, my brothers, I thought it was Potiphar, but I guess it's not Potiphar. So I'm going to jail now. I'm going to just try to help the the guy who's in charge of the jail. And so Joseph brings his A-game. He's the best person there with the mop, best person with the broom. And after a while, the jailer basically turns everything over to Joseph. But you know what? There's only so much promotion you can get in a jail. (laughs) If you're in an orange jumpsuit and you're wearing a number. Well, God's going to bring people. Two of the top officials of Pharaoh, Pharaoh gets upset with them. He thinks they're trying to kill him. And the important thing about these two guys, they have the responsibility of keeping Pharaoh alive. One is the guy who is responsible for testing all the food to make sure it's not poison. The other guy is the one who's responsible for testing the wine to make sure it's not poison. One guy's over the kitchen. The other guy's over the wine cellar. And Pharaoh doesn't know which one is bad, so he throws them both in prison. And they have bad dreams. They don't know how to interpret them. By the way, I should tell you, God has given Joseph the ability to interpret dreams. And he says to the baker, Sir, I got bad news for you. Uh, it's, you're not going to get out of jail alive, you're going to die. Sorry. To the butler, he said, I've got good news for you. You're going to be restored to your job in three days. And three days later, when it came to pass, just like Joseph said, the butler said to Joseph, thank you, thank you, thank you. When I get back to Pharaoh, I'm going to tell him about you. And Joseph said, please tell him about me. Please tell him I'm an innocent man down here in the jail. And Joseph's thinking, okay, it wasn't my brother's. I thought it was Potiphar. It wasn't Potiphar. I thought it was the jailer, but the jailer could only help me so much. So now it's the butler. The butler's going to help me. with but the butler goes back to Pharaoh. He's not about to tell Pharaoh about Joseph. He just barely escaped with his own life last thing he's going to do is make any ripples and tell them that there's some innocent guy down in the jail. They all say they're innocent down there. So now he's forgotten. His brother sold him. Pharaoh fired him and had him arrested. The jailer couldn't only help him so much. And the butler forgot him. Okay, what do you do? Do you stop trusting people? See, this is the thing. How many of us have had bad experiences with people in our lives to the extent that we just say, well, I can't trust people anymore. I'm going to give up on God bringing people into my life who can help me achieve my goal? Guys, this will be one of the most important things I'll ever say on this stage. Joseph could keep trusting people because his trust was in God. There's nothing sadder than to see somebody go through so much heartbreak that they just quit trusting people and they shut out people and they wind up shutting out the very people that God brings in to help them. Joseph trusted people because he trusted God. Saul, on the other hand, I just challenge you, please, read his story. Would you show me anybody in the Bible who had more wonderful people in his life I mean, like, here's Joseph over here with this, you know, cast of characters out of, a, out of a reality show. On the other hand, you have Saul. He's got these legends that God brings into his life. He's got Samuel for a mentor. I mean, he's got one of the wisest men of God who ever lived. He could ask him for advice any time. He's got Samuel for a mentor. Samuel loves him. Remember, he cried all night for Saul. And then on top of that, he's got a son. Read the Bible. Show me any father in the Old Testament who had a better son than Jonathan. Saul's son is Jonathan. I mean, when, when we were expecting our first child, Mary and I wanted to name him Jonathan because we felt that Jonathan was the unsung hero of the Old Testament. Saul's son is filled with courage. He's filled with humility. He's filled with grace and wisdom. Jonathan is always trying to get his dad to listen to reason. I mean, any dad who has a son like Jonathan should just be... You know, so excited. And then on top of that, to have, I mean, that's just for starters, to imagine having David come help you. you. Remember there was a time when the Israelites were being challenged by a giant and nobody wanted to fight him? And along comes this country kid named David and goes out with a bag of rocks and a slingshot and knocks him down and Saul hires him to be his top general. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever known somebody with a bad attitude And they wound up pushing wonderful people away from them. Have you ever, like, grieved over what could have been? Anybody here? You ever grieve over what could have been? Get a picture in your mind. If you want to imagine a team, get a picture of this team that Saul could have. Imagine the prophet Samuel with his great godliness. Imagine, if you will, a son like Jonathan who is a military champion and yet a humble man. Imagine having David over here as a military genius. And Saul as captain of that team. They could have ruled the world. And yet Saul blew it all up because he couldn't trust anybody. Your attitude affects how you live your life. It affects how you treat people. And one more thing, it affects how you look at authority. I believe and have believed for many years that there's a line in the world that separates winners from losers. And that line is all about how we treat authority because all of us are gonna deal with authority in our lives. Many years ago at New Spring, we had a commander at McConnell here. I had met him preaching in Fairfax, Virginia, and he was still at the Pentagon at that time and had just gotten pinned with his first star. And after I spoke that night, the pastor said, Mark, is it okay if I invite a, young, invite, invite a couple over to have uh, snacks with us? And I had the privilege of, uh, for, of meeting Ron Henderson, his wife, for the first time. Ron was leaving the Pentagon to come command McConnell, was in our church for a couple of years. And then he went back to the Pentagon, got his second star, just passed went to be with the Lord last year. I was speaking again at that same church in Fairfax two or three years later, and and, uh, Dan Kubish was with me and another New Springer was with me. And we were having dinner with the Hendersons. And he was telling us, and I'll make this story short if I possibly can. He was telling me that he had to leave and go, I think it was to Serbia or someplace in that part of the world. And he said he only had like an afternoon to get ready And he had to leave that very day, and he could only talk to his wife one time a week, and only for a limited amount of time. Now I'm thinking, that is amazing. And I guess Ron saw the shock on my face that someone at his position could be moved around so capriciously. And here is what Ron said to me, and I never forgot it. He said, I had more control over my life when I was a second lieutenant than I do as a major general. There are a lot of second lieutenants. There are not many major generals. Now, there's some of you have a bad attitude toward authority, and here's what you're thinking, and you're so wrong, you can't even begin to know how wrong you are. You think to yourself that when you get elevated that you won't have to answer to authority anymore. Let me tell you, as you climb the ladder, you're going to have more authority in your life than you ever dreamed. The higher you go, the more authority you have. So, authority is always going to be there. And a big line in life is how you deal with authority. Every once in a while, some smart act will say to me, Well, I'm just kind of rebellious, you know, and they'll say it as though it's something to be proud of. And I'll think, Thank you, you just told me you're a loser. (laughs) Saul does not trust authority. He has a bad attitude toward life, bad attitude toward people, and Lord knows he's got a bad attitude for authority. And here's what he thinks about authority. Authority is all about me doing what I want to do. Obeying when I want to obey, the part that I want to obey, the part that I can figure out, the part that I can understand, that's the part that I will do. If I can't figure it out and if I can't oh if I can't understand it, I'm going to do what I want to do. And he does this over and over again until finally God just gets Fed up with it. There was a particular battle. God wanted it carried out a particular way. Saul did part of what God told him to do, but he did things his way because it was better. And here's what happens. God goes to Samuel and says, I'm sorry I ever made Saul king. Now, here's what God said. He has not been loyal to me. He has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so moved, he cried all night. But that is God saying. This is God's take on it. God is saying he's not loyal, and he refuses to obey. Now Samuel has to go confront Saul with the message that God has that he did not obey. (laughs) Now look at this. This is amazing. Saul comes out cheerfully to Samuel. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Excuse me? God just said he didn't. Isn't it amazing how people with a bad attitude can look you in the face and tell you a lie? How many of you been married to some, don't raise your hand. How many of you been married to somebody like that? Look you in the face and tell you a lie. How many of you have taught and you get a kid in your class with a bad attitude and he will look you in the eye and tell you he's done what he has not done and you know he hasn't done it. He knows he hasn't done it. He knows you know he hasn't done it. Samuel, Saul comes out and says, Yeah, I've done exactly what I was supposed to do. And, and, Saul, and Samuel says, Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Verse 19, verse 20. But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. Then finally, Saul admits to Samuel, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and in the Lord's command. I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. It's not my fault. One of the sad things about people with a bad attitude, and this is why I'm saying if you have a bad attitude, please don't go a day further. Fire your bad attitude today. Because most people with bad attitudes never get it. Well, to end this thing up, you get a real good look at where attitudes put you in life. Because Saul, at the end of his life, you read about this in, you know, you read about this in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 28. Saul is abandoned by everybody. He's pushed everybody away. God won't talk to him anymore because he won't listen to God. Samuel's gone. He's sitting in the palace, afraid of the Philistines, trying to talk to God, and God won't listen to him. And he actually begins to seek out a psychic, a witch. Joseph, on the other hand, you know, he's always said, God's going to send somebody into my life to help me. It's not my brothers. It's not Potiphar. It's not the jailer. It's not the butler. It's somebody. somebody. God's going to send somebody to help me. Well, one day Pharaoh has a bad dream, a couple of bad dreams, and he can't figure them out, and he's all upset, and the butler happens to be coming in, bringing him his wine during that time, and and probably because he really wanted to drink, not knowing what his dream was. And so Pharaoh's just all upset, and the butler's saying, hey, there is a guy down in the jail. I met him. He knows how to interpret dreams. Let's get him out here. And so Joseph gets out of his orange jumpsuit, gets cleaned up, goes to the palace, and he says to the Pharaoh, hey, here's what your dreams mean. Basically, there are going to be seven really good economic years, and then there's going to be seven really, really bad economic years. And during these seven good economic years, we need to really work hard to prepare for the seven bad years. Wish our leaders in Washington knew about this today. Uh, and, And he said, Here's what you need during the really good years: you need a top administrator who knows what he's doing, really, really sharp to handle this process, so that we won't starve to death during the bad years. And Pharaoh said, "Well, you know, it's real easy for me to tell who the sharpest person in the room is. How about you take the job?" And in one moment, Joseph goes from being a prisoner in an orange jumpsuit to being the governor of Egypt, second most powerful man in Egypt. And I would, I would make the argument: since their own Joseph's agenda, he's the most powerful man in the world. I'm not trying to be cliche with you when I tell you that it's interesting to me that attitude, attitude caused Saul to turn a palace into a prison. And attitude caused Joseph to turn a prison into a palace. It's not what happens to you. It's your attitude. Because if you believe God loves you, and has an awesome plan for your life. Then all you have to do is bring your A game, and God is going to bring people to help you. And you know what? If you'll just if you'll just respect authority in your life, even if that authority is not perfect, which no human authority is, you will find that God will just keep elevating you and bringing you up to a place where maybe you'll even be. In a, maybe you're in a prison today, but God can turn it into a palace. And for some of us, we have so much going for us in life. We're in a palace right now, but if our attitude doesn't change, we're going to turn it into a prison. Call your attitude in today. That invisible person who coaches you on how to interpret circumstances, sit him down, check him out. If it's not a good attitude, fire him. Bring in an attitude that will tell you that God is in control of your life and he's got an awesome plan and he rules Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.